Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Power Your Life Radio Show with host and success doc Joanne White. Author, speaker, certified coach, and energy master, Doc White gets to the heart of what matters most. She features guests and experts to help you consciously create more success, health, and wellness in every area of your life, work, and relationships. They'll share their success stories, wisdom, and know-how to help you shine more light onto your day and into your life. Power your life right now. Here's Joanne White. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Power Your Life. I'm Dr. Joanne White, and it's always a pleasure to be here. And it's a wonderful time to start our new year with thinking about how you can become who you truly are, and let's design the mind. I have a beautiful, wonderful guest here who is a thinker and a designer on building better systems, better people, and a better future. I'm talking about Ryan A. Bush. He's the founder of Designing the Mind, and Ryan's central purpose is to provide wisdom, education, and expand human potential beyond the norm. Ryan has written multiple best-selling books like Designing the Mind, The Principles of Psychotecture, built life-changing programs like the Anxiety Algorithm, and launched MindForum, the world's first psychotecture collective and training platform. Through Ryan's books, programs, and community, he has integrated the insights of both ancient and modern thinkers to form a new version for psychological growth and self-mastery. And after spending over a decade of researching the psychology and and philosophy, excuse me, of well-being, and even writing his first book on the topic, it took struggling with Ryan's own mental health for him to integrate the data studied and to form a groundbreaking new psychological theory, Become Who You Are, and that argues that the peak form of our human happiness is determined not by pleasure or pain, loss or gain, but by the admirability that we observe in our own behaviors. Take that in, by the admirability that we observe in our own behaviors. Welcome, Ryan A. Bush. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you, Joanne? Wonderful. Thank you. So I find all of this wonderfully fascinating, and I want us to delve deeper into it a little bit. Firstly, you, you, know, you went through, you did a lot of studying, and then you had your own challenges with mental health. Can you describe that a little bit with our our listeners? Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, yeah, I've been studying psychology and philosophy for well over a decade at this point. And, uh, you know, by 2020, I had already, you know, started writing a book on the topic. I was teaching people the principles of cognitive behavioral therapy, uh, a lot of ancient principles on well-being from Stoicism to Buddhism. And, uh, You know, this was around the time that I started dealing with kind of a struggle of my own and almost uh, 
almost struggling with some of the things I was actively teaching people how to avoid struggling with. So, um, you know, I, I was at a place in my work where I was, uh, you know, I had gone part time at my job to uh, work on this book and I was, uh, you know, struggling get, getting the book written. I was now becoming sort of alienated from my work because I wasn't there as often as the, the rest of the team. My role was sort of shifting from a creative design role to more of an, an engineering drafting role that I was honestly really bad at. Uh, and I had a, you know, sort of a coworker who uh, took an immediate dislike to me and, and it sort of felt like I was uh, constantly being antagonized in my in my job there and and then there was a you know global pandemic of course and so uh that's that's never a great thing to have sort of added on top of what you're struggling with and so what i sort of interpret that that heard at that time is that my view of myself and my own personal strengths and virtues had gradually declined my life had ceased to provide an outlet for the things that i was best at and that i had always sort of admired myself for throughout my life. And as a result, my self-esteem started to decline. And I, I sort of became mildly to moderately depressed for the next, you know, nine months or so. Um, and, and it was really this experience that caused a lot of the ideas and theories and evidence that I had been studying for years to sort of all click into place. I think I needed to actually live it. And that is what gave rise to the theory that I present in this book. You know, it's wonderful, too. I mean, sometimes we have to go through those challenges to really be able to access the truth of where we are and what we're teaching, and and that's powerful. So I, I, I believe in this, and I know it's true. We often look at ourselves based on how other people view us and other kinds of things that are external. But what you're talking about and what I also resonate with, Ryan, is that we really have to look at, and I want you to talk about that more, at who we are and access the truth of that and and feel good about about ourselves. Can you can you share that a little bit more in terms of become who you are? Sure. So the model that I introduced this in this book, and, and this is kind of the most straightforward way to think about it, is that if you imagine that, that there's a chessboard sitting in front of you on the table, uh, you know, you can imagine that the left and right axis of this chessboard represents pain and pleasure, right? So further to the right on this chessboard is more pleasure and to the left is more pain. Uh, you can imagine there's a, a y-axis as well going from loss to gain. So this is sort of closer to you or further away from you on the chessboard. And what I argue is that most of us are sort of living our lives on this two-dimensional map. We're all trying to maximize pleasure or sometimes we compromise pleasure in order to achieve more gain, more success, more external goods in our life. Um, and the problem with this is that this isn't actually how our happiness works. If we look at the data, if we look at for example, lottery winners and paraplegics who you would think had the best and worst things happen to them, as, as you could imagine, uh, ultimately their happiness levels kind of go back to where they were very quickly. And, and these seemingly good or bad things don't actually produce deeper satisfaction or well-being. And so what I argue is that there is a third dimension uh, that we can use to think about uh, the good life. 
And you can imagine extruding sort of mountains and valleys out of this chessboard in front of you. So it's now a topographical sort of map with, uh, you know, with the whole landscape. And there's a third dimension here that, that corresponds to climbing higher in the mountains that's actually responsible for what makes us happier. And this really has to do with aligning with our own values, looking at the things we admire in other people and, and increasingly embodying them through our actions and through our life. And so this admirability factor, this self-admiration, this is ultimately that third dimension that determines how happy we actually are at any given point in our life, even while we're going around chasing, you know, external goods and, and success. You know, and I, I, like I said earlier, Ryan, I totally agree with that. Many people, though, are very just judgmental about who they are and pretty much self-critical. How to... How do you advise people to get to a place of really looking at their virtues and their values and kind of stepping away from the, the self-criticism and self-doubt to get to that place of, of self-admirability? Yeah, so there are really two possibilities here, and I think both can result in, in a low self-esteem and, and potentially clinical depression, right? One is that you really aren't living according to your values for one reason or another you know maybe you maybe the depression is sort of compounded and you're struggling to get out of bed and, and leave your house most days or, or maybe you're trapped in a job that's very repetitive and, and you know you don't have relationships that allow you to bring out these personal strengths right if this is the case then there's a practice known as behavioral activation which is more effective than any antidepressant uh, medication that we've developed so far. Uh, and this is a very seemingly simple practice, but it's basically the act of taking baby steps to gradually incorporate more of these virtue activities into your daily schedule. So you would actually create a schedule and say, every day I'm going to do these tasks. You don't want to jump way beyond your, your current capacities. You want to kind of go incrementally and say, okay, well, uh, you know, most days I'm kind of just getting out of bed and taking a shower and, and uh, not doing much else, you know, streaming shows on Netflix maybe. Um, so, so now every day I'm at least going to go on a walk and read a few pages of a book, right? Something simple like that. Basically, you want to challenge yourself a little bit but not too much. And gradually by doing this, you can sort of work your way out of this vicious cycle. Now, the other possibility that you sort of hinted at is that, you really are living according to your values. You really are taking actions that at least other people around you admire you for. And it's almost like everyone can see it except for you. You've got this very self-critical monologue in your head. And this is where cognitive restructuring comes into play, right? This is what you would sort of do if you went to therapy, like cognitive behavioral therapy, is you would learn the common distortions that people commit in their heads when they uh, sort of beat themselves up unfairly. Uh, you would learn about black and white thinking, for example. You know, you'd learn about mental filtering. So, you know, you're, you're excluding all the good when you evaluate yourself and just focusing on the bad. And so by going through these distortions and logging the kind of thoughts that you experience on a regular basis, looking at what, what was I thinking before I got in this terrible mood, right, you can gradually start noticing oh, man, every time I go into this negative mood spiral, I was always thinking this thought, and it, I'm always committing this one sort of mental distortion or bias. 
And by going through and, and correcting these and replacing them with more balanced alternative thoughts, you can gradually work out those distorted beliefs and come to see yourself in a much more accurate, positive way. You know, that's so important, and but it takes people, somebody can say, oh, that takes so much time, Ryan, how do I do that? What? And But it's important. Right. I mean, we have to do that to start changing and, and shifting our thought processes and also our self-belief, and that's important. You mentioned something, and I just want to uh, note that when we're not living our values, and there's been research when people are at work and the, their values and, and the job or whatever are not kind of in sync with one another, people can be sick and can kind of not really feel good about who they are and what they're doing. So our values and, and really knowing what our values are are really essential. I love this. I want to know, tell our listeners what psychotecture is. Right. So psychotecture is a term I coined in my first book, Designing the Mind, The Principles of Psychotecture. And, it, you know, you can sort of imagine it's a combination of psychology and architecture. We're essentially applying a design process to our own minds and our own psychological habits, if you will. So uh, the way this goes in practice is, is sort of zooming in on those individual mental habits, the, the chains, the if-then relationships between our thoughts and our emotions and our behaviors, uh, and going in and, and saying, how can I change this mental habit so that it creates a more harmonious relationship between us and our minds? Uh, a great example, it, it kind of relates back to that uh, cognitive therapy and restructuring I was talking about. You know, our beliefs really determine our emotions. We, we don't actually suffer as a result of things that happen to us in our lives. We suffer because things happen to us, we interpret them negatively, and those interpretations create negative moods. And it's sort of like, you know, if you have sort of a software mindset, you can imagine that these you know, little bits of code, these algorithms inside our heads are sort of triggering one another and creating these negative moods. And so we have to go in and reprogram them. We have to change those thoughts in order to create better emotions, or we need to change those emotions in, in order to create better habits. So, for example, the, the inputs, the environmental triggers around you uh, are going to perpetuate your bad habits. If you keep that jar of Nutella right by your bedside table, right, that's that's creating a trigger that's going to make you want that anytime you get out of bed. And, and so you can look at all of our habits, our emotions, or our biased beliefs through this sort of software lens and apply a design process to actually work out those habits and, and create a happier, sort of better mind and more self-mastery. Wonderful. What would you tell somebody who's, at, or and, and lots of people have to go through this, whose beliefs, self-belief, are based on other people's judgments, whether it's family or friends or, or teachers or whatever, that are negative, and, and they've taken that belief system from others on and kind of incorporated that into their own self-belief. How would you tell them to be able to shift that so that they can really see their true value? Yeah, so most people really aren't taught how to question those ingrained beliefs. We, we don't get told the questions we should be asking ourselves in school. We're sort of going through social studies and math instead. And so uh, ultimately, I think a, a lot of people in the modern world have an introspective deficiency. 
We also have devices and, and entertainment forms that can pretty much create endless uh, distraction and keep us from ever having to be alone with those thoughts. And so one of the things I did after writing my first book is I created a deck of introspection cards uh, where you essentially take one card uh, and go on a walk. You take this little pocket-sized journal and, and you think about that card and you write down your answer in the journal. And they gradually sort of build on each other to create this almost temple of self-knowledge as you go along. So a, a big question I think we should all be asking and if you haven't done this, you need to create a sheet of paper right now and actually go through and do this, is write down the people that you admire most, whether those are people who actually are, are in your life or historical figures or fictional characters even, the people that you look at and say, wow, I wish I could be more like that. Uh, and what you want to do is write down specifically which traits and behaviors these people have that make you want to be more like them right? Uh, you really want to incorporate these traits into your strategy for the next phase of your life. You know, if you're considering a job change, instead of just looking at, you know, the salary and the benefits and the things, you know, that seem better on paper, uh, you want to really look at, okay, how well will this job allow me to align with these values, these things that I admire in other people and hence will admire in myself once I, you know, come to embody them more. And you want to sort of build a strategy in your life around this. I think uh, asking these types of questions and actually going through this is, is a huge part of personal growth. And, and ultimately, it's, it's what's meant in the title of this book, Become Who You Are, is become more like th this part of you that is found in your admiration for others in your actual actions. Make that, that version of you more like the version of you that, that embodies these ideals and virtues. How does that shift when we're looking at other people and we're being, I mean, because this is what people do. They look at other people and they criticize themselves because they're not like these people. There's always that level of comparison. How do we do away with that so that we're in admiration and looking at that and ourselves in, in a totally different, more positive way? Yeah, so, so what I've sort of argued is that the, the pain of having other people disapprove of you is ultimately really the pain of agreeing with them and, and knowing that you're, they're right and you don't approve of yourself. You can sort of simulate this by imagining two different scenarios. One is that you overhear a group of people talking about you, you know, you know behind your back essentially, but it's a group of people that you don't really have a lot of respect for. They're saying you're really bad at something that you don't even – care about, chances are that's not going to affect your view of yourself all that much. Uh, on the other hand, imagine you overhear a group of people that you highly admire uh, saying that you're really bad at things that are really important to you, whether that's for you creativity or courage or compassion, whatever it is, these people are saying, no, you, they don't have that trait. They're, they're kind of a joke, right? Um, obviously, that second scenario would sting a lot more. And that tells us that it's not exactly other people's opinion of us that hurts so much. It's our own opinion of ourselves. And when we hear uh, or when we find that other people aren't approving of us, a big part of us is saying, yeah, no, I actually think they're right about this. And so ultimately, I think we should be primarily focused with earning our own respect and admiration. And when we do that, uh, other people's opinions will only affect us 
insofar as they're right. And we really do need to be living according to that value that we hold more closely. I love that, and, and, and I think that's so, so very important, Ryan. You mentioned these cards. Do you, can you share with us one of the cards for our listeners that, that you're talking about that we take a look at and examine and, and work with on a, on a daily basis? Sure. So one of those cards, um, or several cards, actually build to the the process that I was just going through about how, uh, you know, writing down the people you admire, the traits you most admire about them. But another sort of set of cards essentially has you go through the life you've lived so far and divide it into five sort of chapters, right? However you want to break those chapters down. And then examine within each of those five different traits that you value. Uh, and how those have improved or gone down over time. So, for example, uh, if creativity is really important to you, look at the first phase of your life and how that came out in, in childhood. And then look at the second phase of your life, you know, when you were in school, high school, whatever, how, how were you bringing out that creativity? Uh, and then going through each phase and sort of mapping out those individual virtues and how well you have been able to incorporate them in your life. And what you'll often find is that the worst periods of your life are the ones where those top five virtues that you're best at uh, really didn't have an outlet. You really weren't bringing them out in your life. And the best parts of your life will be the ones where you had a really great way of bringing out those things you're best at, and you're seeing evidence of that every day. Uh, and, And so kind of mapping this out is a great way of demonstrating to yourself okay, this is really what matters. This is really what I need to design my life around is how can I get these top traits out there? Um, You know, one other process, another exercise uh, that's super easy, right? Anyone can do it is going to Martin Seligman's website and taking the signature strength test. This will essentially tell you uh, five of your greatest strengths. It's a starting point. Ultimately, you, you have to sort of build on it and, you know, potentially ask some people in your life What do you think I'm best at? What are my five greatest strengths? Which will be really revealing. But essentially, you want to hold these really close. You want to identify and then keep in mind at all times these most important virtues that you need to be bringing out in your life. I love it. So you have this theory that you call, and we've been talking about that, virtual self-signaling theory. Can you share that a little bit more and also about why our emotions, our emotional state, how we feel, doesn't really correspond to that? Sure, yeah. So virtue self-signaling theory is sort of the central theory behind all these claims, and it, it examines evidence from everything from evolutionary psychology to neuroscience to clinical psychology and sort of ties it all together. So a great place to start might be to focus on uh, what's called the default mode network in our brain. It's a network of brain regions that is essentially active at all times when we're not engaged in an activity at the moment, right? So if we're not immersed in something, this part of our brain is lighting up, and that's why it's called the default mode network. But as we've studied it, we've learned that basically what this network is doing is it's evaluating you, yourself. Your brain is always making self-oriented evaluations. It's comparing you to other people. It's ruminating. It's thinking about what you're good at, what you're not good at. And, and this is uh, what, you know, in spiritual circles we call the ego. 
but I've argued that there's a very good reason why this system exists in our brain. And that's because we evolved to sort of bring out these strengths in a social landscape, to sort of contend within uh, our tribes and bring out and share what makes us great, what makes us special. And as a result, our brain is constantly stimulating these things that we're bringing out. It's constantly looking at our actions on a daily basis and, and saying, okay, am I good at this? Am I actually, you know, not good at this? Am, am I lovable? Am I competent, right? Uh, and this is most of what our brain is doing most of the time. This is why we talk about rumination and, and self-esteem and why it seems so important to us. And what I argue is that this system in the brain primarily exists to regulate our mood. And so it will bring us up to a higher mood of, of deep happiness when we highly approve of ourselves. It will bring us down to a lower state of depression when we don't approve of ourselves because that means our tribe is not likely to approve of us. And, that, and as a result, it's best for us to withdraw, to not call too much attention to ourselves, to be socially risk-averse, not really put ourselves out there. And, and for better or worse, and for most of us it's very much worse, uh, this state makes us also feel terrible. And, and so it's, it's ultimately our brains trying to prevent us from damaging our social status, trying to maximize uh, sort of our, our social standing in a way. But it has this really negative, awful, tragic effect of just making us feel terrible. And, and so ultimately what's needed to sort of re-engineer this system is a lot of these processes and exercises that I've talked about that will allow you to see more evidence of the things that you're great at and approve of and admire yourself a lot more and, and essentially work with this default mode network in your brain to bring about deep well-being and a, and a state of self-approval and happiness. You know, that that's so very important because most of us, like you said, have that negative part of us that, that's constantly in self-evaluation and, and criticism and finding fault and whatever. I've actually had to learn over time to quiet that part of my brain that was really kind of self-effacing and get to a place of, of where it wasn't kind of beating me up in a, in a way and so when when I'm I've been in a place of quiet and that took working on myself I was able to then let forth some of the positive like like I can compliment myself my mind can tell me good job Joe you know whatever it is and I think that it really it, you know it resonates with everything you're talking about and it makes us feel really good and not kind of listening to to that voice that's that's constantly kind of battling ourselves. Yeah, and so this is this is really interesting because this is a notion you hear a lot in spiritual circles about quieting this part of the brain and and meditation and mindfulness is great for doing this exactly. Getting some distance from those negative self-thoughts and seeing that they're just thoughts. They're just feelings that's not necessarily reality. I think this is a really important step to building a better sort of mind, a better life and, ha and happiness. But I also think there's something that is missing from this kind of analysis, because ultimately, I think we don't just want to quiet this part of our brain. This part of our brain is essentially both responsible for our, our suffering and depression, but also the, the greatest highs of happiness and well-being. Uh, so ultimately, I think quieting is a good 
sort of intermediate step, a good transitional way of getting away from some of those self-critical voices. But ultimately, what we want to do is turn those voices into self-praising voices, right? Kind of like you talked about, where you can compliment yourself. Uh, and so I think a lot of these spiritual concepts about transcending the ego are, are only sort of half right. You actually do want to have an ego. You do want to have an internal monologue, but you want it to be your friend. You want it to turn into something that is, is you know, approving of you, that's seeing these traits that you're bringing out and admiring you for them. And you want to make sure you're living your life in a way that you do approve of and so that, that you are going to create those thoughts. I think, you know, some people are, are suffering over their mental voice because they really aren't living according to their values and they need to change their life around a little bit so that that voice will be their friend instead of their enemy. You know, I think that's so important because when our voice does become our friend, it's really very I don't know how to, do, it, it, you know, it really feels very good, and it, it like I have conversations with, and this is going to sound strange, where <laughs> where my mind will say, good job, Joanne, or, or, you know, I'll even have a joke or whatever, because it, it's allowing me to feel good about things that I'm doing, things that, like, that are, cor- that are corresponding, like you're talking about, with, our, with values that are important, and it really, it for me, and I think for other people that we work with, it, cre- it can create that kind of relationship that feels so positive and so fulfilling, and it's enjoyable. It's like it's enjoyable to be with yourself. Yeah, exactly. When when I you know look at my life and the and the you know I, I had a period where I was really into mindfulness and I kind of was trying to transcend myself and. I, I got pretty good at that. Like, I, I felt okay. I was kind of neutral. I wasn't, like, deeply fulfilled, but I at least wasn't having negative thoughts. But that hasn't been nearly as good as the times in my life when I really was making myself proud in the way I was living. And, and my brain really was saying, like, wow, you're good at that. Like, wow, I'm proud of you for, for doing that. Uh, and so I think, I think it's much better to sort of be enlightened or to transcend your ego than it is to be in this state of self-criticism. But I think there's a step above that, too, where, where you're, you do have an ego, you do have a sense of self, and it's a strong, positive sense of self. Yes, and that helps us move even more into our values and our passions and, and you know, what we want to do with ourselves because we're getting that positive feedback that's internal that, that we've built into ourselves, which is everything that you talk about in such a beautiful way. So tell our listeners, Ryan, how they can get, I mean, your books are incredible, and I love the series and the principles of psychotecture, and you know, tell us a little bit about Mindform and then how people can access a lot of your stuff. What is Mindform? Yeah. Well, I, I appreciate the kind words, and, and Mindform is uh, an online platform and community that I built to essentially share a lot of my work with. So I've created this um, sort of of an app where you can go on and connect with other psychotechs, we call ourselves, other people working to design their minds. Uh, You can take a number of sort of 30-day programs that I've created on anxiety and depression and happiness and and that kind of thing, read, you know, a bunch of my articles. It's basically a a playground for people who are really interested in self-optimization. And so you can apply for that at MindForm dot io 
Um, but also, if, you, if you're not quite ready to jump straight in, you want to kind of dip your toes in, in the stuff I'm doing, uh, I'll send you a couple of free books if you go to designingthemind.org slash becoming. Uh, you can also pre-order the new book there, but if you just um, sort of join the email list, I'll send you the Psychotech's Toolkit and the Book of Self-Mastery, which is kind of a quote compilation of, of a lot of thinkers teaching how to sort of master your own mind. Beautiful. Tell us a little bit about the new book. Right. So, yeah, that's that's kind of become who you are. That's what we've been discussing here, and, and it's, um, y- you know, it, it's a new theory on well-being and it's coming out February 27th, but it's available for pre-order now, so you can already jump on and, and get some bonuses that I'm giving away for that as well. Beautiful. And and as any other ways that people can access your gifts and and connect with you, Ryan? Sure. Yeah. If you if you want to go to the product page, designingthemind.org/products, uh, that will show you where you can get the. Uh, introspection cards that I talked about. You can get some of the programs standalone if you're not ready to join Mindform. Uh, you can get the sort of gold edition of my first book that's got like beautiful color illustrations and gold foiling on the front. Uh, so there's a lot of other good stuff there. But um, you know, you'll you'll come across all of that if you hop on the email list and get those free books as well. Beautiful. You had talked a little bit about when you went through your own challenges and and working with a little bit of the depression, and were not wasn't were not really recognized by your coworker at your job or whatever. How did you shift it? What did you do? Yeah. So did a you lot leave? Of, um, okay. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I I did, and and I think in many cases that's kind of the best. If you know there's a part of your life, whether it's a, your work, it's a relationship you're in, it's something that's sort of toxic and is bringing you down, the, the quickest step is often to leave. And so I did uh, end up leaving that job, switching to kind of a small startup that I was able to pretty much flip 180. I was able to bring a lot of my strengths, sort of have my creativity uh, exercised and recognized every single week. Uh, and I was also able to finish up the book I was sort of struggling to write and get it out there. And what that did is it, it created a whole new vessel for me to bring out my wisdom and my ingenuity and all these things that I've prided myself on my whole life. Uh, it, it created Designing the Mind, which is now my full-time job, essentially, and allowed me to write books and participate on Mindform and, and host events where I'm you know, bringing a lot of these ideas that's so important to me and, and share them with others and, and improve other people's lives. So essentially putting myself in a position uh, where I was, where I now have tons of outlets for my greatest strengths is what I attribute, you know, the, the huge improvement in my well-being to. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm now kind of at the best place I've ever been in my life because every day is pretty much me doing the things I'm good at and and having you know seeing them benefit other people's lives, so it's uh, it's been a huge sort of 180 from that that darker period. You know, and it's beautiful that you're doing what resonates with your values, with your heart, and at the same time helping people. I think that's that's so important, and that's I believe that's what we're all about. Tell our listeners what you would like to leave us with before we we go. Sure. Um, what I would say in general is that 
you know, the internet is full of people trying to tell us how we should be living our lives based on, you know, what group we're a part of, how, how you should live your life if you're a man or a woman, or if you're in, you know, this group. And, and ultimately, uh, I think what most people don't recognize is that you already have a compass built into you, built into your brain uh, for navigating your life. You just have to get better at actually listening to it. Don't, don't listen to anyone who tells you how someone like you should be living. Instead, tap into those impulses of admiration that you feel toward other people and use that as a compass for navigating where you should go next, how you should be living, what you should be doing every day to actually bring out those values and, and see how great you are, essentially. Uh, and so don't, don't ever let other people distract you from your own internal compass. Beautiful. I love it. Ryan A. Bush, thank you so much for being a valuable guest and sharing your wisdom. And thank you for everything that you're doing to help us redesign our minds and feel better about who we are. Thank you so much, Joanne. I I really enjoyed it. Thanks for having me. I enjoyed it, too. Thanks again. So think about everything that Ryan A. Bush said because it's really very important to be able to to feel good about who we are, to really know what resonates, what our values are. And when we're living those, we are in a, in a state of, of self-satisfaction and are able to do so much more than when we're beating ourselves up or listening to to people who are negating who we are and what we have to offer to the world. Think about that and also follow some of the strategies that Ryan talked about in terms of delving into looking at, at who you admire and admiring and, and coming to a place of those traits within yourself because it is possible and it is wonderful and it makes you feel more whole and so much more of who you are and who you're meant to be. So think about that as you power your life in that direction and have a beautiful, blessed day. Take a few steps forward today to make that happen, to value yourself even more. Thanks again for being here. You've been listening to the Power Your Life radio show with host and author Dr. Joanne White. Listen often and spread the word about the upbeat show to enrich you and grow your life in the direction you desire. Listen again and again and visit DocWhite.org for more information and find out how Dr. Joanne can benefit you. Thank you for sharing your day with us and stay tuned for more exciting guests and events to come. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, over by law, 18 plus, terms and conditions apply. See website for details.